Welcome in, come one, come all, Joe Gill on hand. This is the JG3 Experience Podcast. Thank you for listening and making this podcast part of your day. We are presented by Upstate Social, the destination for residents, by residents. The young professionals behind Upstate Social, Kelly Richards and Jenna Hebert, are saving the social lives of the young and old alike in the greater capital region. Upstate Social is your destination for everything you need to enhance your social life. Follow Upstate Social on social media at Upstate underscore social underscore. Don't delay, change your life. Check out Upstate Social now. Episode number nine today, I'm going to be discussing how comparing players in sports through the eras is completely foolish, especially when trying to cross-examine different players that played in different eras. It is a deep dive into the evolution of sports as a whole and the resources that go into it today versus in the past. It is a great fun topic I tackle to try and change the narrative of how we look at and compare players in their respective sports. In Call of the Day, I do an old call featuring a flying Marc-Andre Fleury, one that just had to be done. It might be my best call yet. Plus, weekend winners today after a 4-1 Thanksgiving week and an opening statement about Josh Shaw, the Arizona Cardinals player recently suspended for gambling. Buckle up, turn up the volume, and get ready for the experience. Episode number 9 is Circling the Deep Fryer now. Today's opening statement will be in defense of Josh Shaw, the Arizona Cardinals player that was recently suspended indefinitely for gambling. The court is now in session and counsel is ready to deliver his opening statement. The concept that Josh Shaw is suspended indefinitely based on his three-team second-half parlay that didn't even win any money at a Caesars Sportsbook in Vegas is absolutely ridiculous and a complete overreaction by the NFL as per usual. The reason why I take such issue with this is because football is not a game that can just be thrown like baseball or basketball can be. In football, you are putting your body at risk and putting yourself in harm's way with every single play. Baseball outfielders can lollygag a fly ball or strike out without making an obvious or an NHL goalie can let a couple of softies in without anyone batting an eye. But besides the point of actually arguing about how difficult or easy it is to throw a game over a result, Josh Shaw is a player that has not played all season, is not around his team, and has not been around the team at all. He had absolutely no impact on the result and had no insider knowledge, and his bets lost. He lost his own money in an $100 parlay bet. This is not the Black Sox scandal of 1919 where the team threw the World Series for payoffs. This is a guy who has not played all year, has no knowledge of what is going on, who literally made a second-half parlay while in Vegas, like watching the game like you or I do, and how we would make a bet. He is barely an employee or a member of the NFL with no insider knowledge in the game, and its integrity was not compromised in any capacity. I understand that Goodell came out and said that you cannot bet on football in any capacity if you work in the NFL. My issue does not lie with the punishment itself based on the rules. Those are the rules in place and he violated those rules and is being punished accordingly. No matter how ridiculous the rules are, if you know the rules and knowingly violate them, then I take no issue with the punishment. My issue is with the rule itself. The rule needs to be tweaked and an indefinite suspension just does not warrant what actually took place. You cannot have such a blanket rule as gambling becomes more widespread in this country. I am absolutely in favor of protecting the integrity of the game and any active player or coach or GM or someone that would have insider knowledge should not be able to bet. That I agree with. I would propose a tier system or checks and balances of sorts where you say if a player is on IR or not with their team or something like that where they can bet, then that's fine. 
I know that that could open a Pandora's box of policing players and people, but it just seems silly to me for a player to lose his ability to make a living over a parlay bet that I could have made that didn't even win any money player, especially one that is not involved with his team in any capacity, should have the right to bet or not bet on whatever they so choose. They are no different than any private citizen that wants to throw 100 on a game. Josh Shaw being suspended indefinitely, and more than likely will probably never get the opportunity to play in the NFL again, is way too high a penalty for what he did, and the rules must be examined. For today's main event, I am taking on a topic I have always wanted to discuss at length, and it is all about how foolish it is to compare players through the eras in sports. Now, I have always been against comparing players that played in the 60s versus today, or the 70s and the 80s, or the 90s, and today, you get the point. Now, why I've always been so against it and why I think it is so foolish is quite simply, I believe that there is just so much more that goes into sports today, and as time has gone on, There's just no way of knowing how good a player would or would not have been in any era, and don't even get me started about going backwards by putting today's players in past eras. It's just absolutely ridiculous for me to compare those. With how much the games have evolved throughout the years and how many rule changes have been put into place and just how different the game is and how you cannot compare players, even physical specimen to a degree because of how much science goes into the games now and analytics and whatnot, If you want to compare players, teams, and coaches within the same era, that's fair game to me, but crossing eras, again, is just foolish. So to complete my argument, I figured I'd go through each main sport and talk about the eras and how different each game is and kind of just recap some of the reasons why. So we'll start with football. These are the most obvious changes across sports to me that has made it an entirely different game than it used to be. As football nowadays really is essentially a glorified flag football game compared to 20 years ago. The rule changes that have been implemented for players' safety and entertainment purposes for more scoring, I think, has been, uh, you know, phenomenal over the years to grow the game. But when I think about this argument and I make this argument, I like to lean on guys like what Steve Young and Trent Dilfer have said when I make this argument. When you hear them talk about playing quarterback through the eras versus how these guys do it now, you know, they laugh and they just talk about how much easier it is to play quarterback today with how much space there is and how guys can actually go across the middle of the field and throw the football, everything's out of the shotgun. If you go back and look at some games from the 80s and 90s, and I actually went back and looked at some of the greater you know, games with like the Cowboys and the 49ers and, and different teams that played in the 80s and 90s, even some of the 70s Steelers games, you'd see how players like Edelman and, and Welker would have been killed during those eras. There just really was not too much across the middle of the field. There was a lot more running of the football back then than there used to be. But... I love a guy like Wayne Corbett so much because of those exact reasons. But anyway, the rule changes have made the game so different in this era versus the last one with how much the ball again is thrown and how nobody runs it anymore. How can you compare Brady to Terry Bradshaw or Peyton Manning to Warren Moon or any of the other great players, even the ones that run the football? Running back nowadays, every team it seems like has a tandem versus where one team would have a guy that would get the ball 35 times a game. It's just a very difficult conversation to have to me, and football is the most obvious one. I just simply believe you cannot compare them through the eras in football. Let's go to basketball next. So the three-point line is a pretty obvious one to steer away from. There were players that played when there was no three-pointer, and now nobody does anything but take threes. You have players like Will Chamberlain that played when nobody was anywhere near as tall as him, and he just put the ball in the basket while a bunch of short white dudes (laughs) tried to keep him from putting it in the basket. So to compare him to a Shaq or even a Kareem, again, 
How do you make such a comparison without considering all of these elements? It's silly. The big debate we have now is LeBron versus Jordan and everything that has brought about it because of the pursuit of championships, how great LeBron is, how great Jordan is. Jordan played in the hand check era where you have not been able to do that at all in the time that LeBron has played. The paint and the lanes were so, so congested when Jordan played. You know, you used to get absolutely pummeled if you went to the basket in the 80s and 90s. You see it in a lot of these games and a lot of these great games. And for you local people, you know, I've always talked about the greatness of the Knicks in the 90s. You used to go to the basket and Charles Oakley would check you. You know, there are guys, you used to see fist fights and guys just get completely put to the ground in the 80s and 90s if you even attempted a layup. Now you can walk into the lane and nobody even breathes on you. You know, you could do so many different things back then versus what you can do now. It's just, again, LeBron's played through 18 years. Nobody goes in the lane anymore. Everything is from the outside. And even when you do go in, again, nothing happens to you. And teams nowadays, they routinely score in the 120s and 130s. We're even seeing this year 140, 150 regularly now. If you watch Washington Wizards basketball, for instance, you would never see that in the 90s or even before that. Another player that I like to think about when trying to make this argument is Russell Westbrook. He's a compiler if there ever was one. And I'm not going to take away from any of his accomplishments. To average a triple-double for a season is absolutely amazing. But think about how many more possessions a game there are now and how much the ball moves and how many open shots guys get on his assists or how many uncontested rebounds he gets nowadays versus when, like, Oscar Robinson was putting up all of his triple-doubles or even when Jason Kidd used to do it on a regular basis. Do you think it was easy for the Big O to get his triple-doubles? The whole usage rate and how ball-dominant the NBA is now versus in the old days when players would move the ball, and even the whole concept of how well teams move the ball and how much they move it has evolved over the years. It's just a completely different game every single era that you break the NBA into, and how much the game has changed just makes it impossible to compare these players. Players playing today are essentially playing a street ball game during the regular season. They're just chucking up shots from all over the court, and especially from three-pointer, and they just get uncontested layups and rebounds, and there isn't nearly as much defense being played in the regular season as there used to be. Guys routinely take nights off. You know, there could be a game where a guy may get who would normally draw Kawhi Leonard or, or one of these other guys as a defensive, you know, option, or, or they would match up with them, and then all of a sudden that guy's not going to play because he's sitting for rest management or, or what have you, and how do you compare players like James Harden and Rick Barry or Shaq to Bill Russell or Steph Curry to Iverson? Again, just like in football, you simply can't do it. The errors are totally, totally different. Now in hockey, hockey's the one that I don't really quite understand as to why more players in this era are not approaching the numbers that, like Wayne Gretzky used to put up, his ridiculous. If you go back into some of his greatest seasons, he's got the most ridiculous stats I think out of any great player at the top of their sport than anyone else. You know, the game is so much more wide open and higher scoring than it used to be, especially since the lockout. You had the introduction of the trapezoid and the way that the quote-unquote goon player really doesn't exist anymore. There's really no fighting. Guys are entitled to spaces of ice without fear of retribution like they never used to be. I do think that that evolution really is a testament to how great Gretzky was. But even if you go back before him into the history of hockey, I mean, guys used to play this game without helmets. 
you know, goalies used to have tiny pads and barely protected their faces. The goalies also used to be able to play the puck wherever, and there used to be no two-line passes. There were no shootouts or overtimes. You know, you name it, the the era is the same. I mean, I, I get the fundamentals of hockey are still the same. You know, there are still chip-and-chase games and cycling in the zone and stuff like that. But in terms of how wide open the spaces are, teams on any given night can put up five or six goals when in the past there were games that were few and far between like that. And again, Gretzky will always be the one that everybody compares it to and the next greatest thing, whether it's Crosby or McDavid. But it's amazing how great Gretzky was and the numbers that he put up. And like I said, you could go back to some of the greatest times in hockey. This game goes back over 100 years. It's just it's just so different. Even, again, when it comes to the equipment, the way that guys shoot it now, it's not like guys never shot the puck hard, but think about all the traffic in front and, and all these things that just didn't exist nearly as much when the game was just so much more condensed, whereas now it's just so open. It's it's just totally different. Baseball is the next one I want to jump to really quick, and I think it's the sport that has changed the least, at least fundamentally. Uh, maybe not so much in the last few years, but I, I think you can get away with comparisons between the ages, mostly in baseball, more so than any of these other sports, but I'm only going to go up to probably maybe 2010, maybe 2015 to do that. Because now, I mean, the baseball today we watch is completely different when even you go back to that 2010, 2015 range. As the game is essentially strikeouts and home runs and that's it. Everyone can throw 97 and higher out of the bullpen and more pitchers are used in games than ever before. And sometimes you, you see pitchers come in to face one batter. You know, if, if players back in the 50s and 60s were facing the gas that the pitchers throw today, I'm sure that the strikeout numbers would be fairly similar. I draw the line basically there, though. as The science and analytics behind the game have completely skewed it in one direction. The way that the analytics has completely moved this game and the evolution it's put under, it's shown in, in every aspect. I mean, you know, we can talk about the shift changing the game entirely now i know that there were always shifts to a degree but never never to the extent that we're seeing it nowadays even go back 10 or 15 years ago you were not seeing shifts anywhere close to the kind of magnitude you are i mean i even saw games this year where teams are putting four guys in the outfield and you never have seen that before you know the one thing i also think that's totally different now that you can't compare anymore is the movement of players and what i mean by that is primarily kind of on the bases i don't see people bunning anymore outside of the pitchers in the National League. People don't steal bases anymore. You don't see as much first to third or the challenging of the outfielder's arms trying to score from second on a single with less than two outs. You know, the game has essentially gone from everything happening out of a binder planned by the analytics. This era of baseball, again, I don't, you can't really compare it to a lot of the eras in the past. It's in my opinion, it is one of the worst errors, and it's only going to go further into the negative as we get further and further into the analytics. But this baseball we're seeing today is nothing like the baseball of old. Again, how do you compare players that are playing now that are striking out 200-plus times a year versus guys that would barely strike out and, and how guys consistently can throw 98, 99, 100 miles an hour where there may not have been anybody in the league that could touch those numbers back in the 50s or 60s or the 40s or whatever era you want to pick. It just It's the most comparable, I get it, because of the numbers and how the statistics are all basically the same outside of a couple of things that have changed. But again, even a lot of the numbers can be converted to show the prowess of guys in the past. 
But again, this this baseball we're watching is really nothing like the baseball of old, and I don't really understand it. I, I get it to a degree in baseball the most out of any of the sports, but even if, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to take a guy like Aaron Judge and compare him to players from the 70s and the 80s, it just it just doesn't work for me. And the last sport I want to touch on is golf, and again, this is another one of those that I think is fairly obvious when it comes to the fitness, the equipment. There's been so much change in golf. I mean, you see courses now that approach 75, 8,000 yards even. We had a U.S. Open a couple years ago at Aaron Hills where the total yardage was over 8,000, and it didn't even matter. They still, you know, I think the winner was still like 20 under par. The game of golf has totally changed with the evolution of the equipment, even in the past, you know, 15 years. Guys can well play into their 40s and compete. I don't think that part has changed so much, but again, you're seeing guys just just hit the life out of the ball, and it doesn't seem like there's nearly as much skill in terms of being able to hit the ball long. You're always going to have that control aspect, sure, but the way the equipment has changed the game of golf and how high guys can hit it, and how a lot of places now you're not seeing nearly as much rough or you're seeing too much rough depending on which U.S. Open you go back to and look at. This game is totally different now than it ever was when Jack played or when Arnold played or when Seve played or some of the other greats like Sam Snead played. You you can never go back and look and say, okay, well, Jack's got 18 and Tiger's got 15 or Snead's 83 wins versus Tiger's 83 wins. I mean, you can go into any cross-analysis of these victories and the fields were different. You know, the way that wins were tallied was different. The way that tournaments were conducted was different. There's also a lot more opportunities for guys to win now as there's a tournament essentially every week of the year. There's just no way to compare those past players. Now, you if you want to compare them on a purely skilled basis, again, you want to talk about who is a great driver of the ball, who is a great iron striker, who is a great putter. I think that that's fair. But as an overall player and an overall mentality of who is great and when I still think they need to be stuck within the same eras because there's just way too many variables especially when it comes to the equipment changes that just make it nearly impossible to say again I have always been a belief that Tiger at his peak was the greatest player we've ever seen but who knows what Jack would have done in this era with this kind of equipment or or Palmer or one of these greats just there's just way too many changes that have occurred in the game of golf in the last 25 years and I didn't even mention the ball. It's one of those things that I just don't think you can compare uh, through the eras. So let's recap here. Here's my overall point. The sports we love now do not resemble in any shape or form the sports of the past. I think each sport has a specific event or or rule change or, or series of rule changes in its timeline where the game shifted dramatically and was changed for better or worse forever past that point. You just simply cannot compare Jordan to LeBron or Brady to Montana, or Gretzky to McDavid. There's just way too much difference between the eras of the sports and the way the game was played when each player played it to cross-compare. The motivations of why players played through the eras is different too, and the money aspect is totally different. The science is dramatically different. The analytics is dramatically different. And even our society is dramatically different. The pressures of playing today with social media and everything else, it's just totally different. To me, it all adds up to the same answer. When you have to cross over so many different variables and considerations when trying to compare players through the years, there's just way too much to evaluate and figure out to get something coherent on the other end of the equal sign. It comes down to something very simple for me. Either a player was good, he was great, he was alright, or he was a bum. 
Why does it matter if Jordan was better than LeBron or vice versa? Anyone you ask is going to have a different opinion, especially when people of different age groups argue. Let's leave the comparison of players and sports within their own eras of the game and debate on that. That's more fun to me than anything else. Anything past that point is and will always be foolish. So that's my little piece on the comparison through the eras being foolish. That's going to wrap up the main event for this episode. We still have Call of the Day and Weekend winners today right around the corner. Before we jump into that, here's a word from our sponsor, Upstate Social. Let's not forget about our sponsor, Upstate Social, the destination for residents by residents. It was co-founded by two spectacular young professionals, Kelly Richards and Jenna Hebert, original Capital Regioners who are redefining how the social scene is consumed in the Capital Region. Kelly and Jenna were born and raised here, moved away from college, and returned to their favorite place in upstate New York to curate their next chapter. Upstate Social has all the information you're looking for to enhance your social life. They feature day trippers, fun day trip ideas, a few of which I've been on personally. They were phenomenal. They recommend restaurants and bars, and they feature regional events throughout the year, tailored to your needs and wants. Their recommendations are perfect for planning a date night, a night out with friends or colleagues, and they also have recommendations for family-friendly outings, too. If you're looking to rebuild and upgrade your social life, or you just don't know where to look to find great events and ideas in the greater capital region, look no further than Upstate Social. They have the answers you seek. Check them out on social media at Upstate underscore social underscore on Instagram and Facebook. That's at Upstate underscore social underscore. Check out their website, UpstateSocialNY.com. That is UpstateSocialNY.com. It has all their happenings on there. It is a terrific site that is accommodating and easy to use. Don't delay upgrading your social life. Go look it up now. Upstate Social, saving the lives of Capital Regioners. Call of the day, back and better than ever after one episode hiatus. So for today's call, I wanted to find a great call on short notice. It could not just be any old game. There wasn't too much from the weekend and the last couple of days, so I went back a few days. This is one for the ages. Marc-Andre Fleury, the goaltender for the Vegas Golden Knights, makes the save of the year against the Toronto Maple Leafs. If you have not seen it yet, go out there and check it out and check out some of the funny videos that have been created on YouTube with Marc-Andre diving and all different types of scenes. It is absolutely hilarious. The tour guide introduced me to the video, and it is terrific. Here is the original call from the Leafs Golden Knights game of that Marc-Andre Fleury save. That's almost stolen. Now McKayev carries on on the left wing. Took a shot in the goal from Backhead. Oh, my, what a save. Holy Mackinac, what a save made by Marc-Andre Fleury. Absolutely fantastic. The save of the year by Marc-Andre Fleury. That is as good a save as you will ever see. That might be the very best call of the day so far in the short history of this segment. So let's do it. Here's my rendition of Marc-Andre Fleury's diving stop. Leaves carry into the Golden Knight zone. Here's a shot. Oh, it hit the iron. Fleury's out of the crease. And that is open on the rebound. And oh, no way. Save. Save. Marc-Andre Fleury leaped off the ice like an outfielder diving for a fly ball. Took the puck out of the air and said, now you see it. Now you don't. Robbery by Marc-Andre. That is without question the save of the year by Marc-Andre Fleury. 
There aren't too many things that get me up out of my chair, but that was absolutely one of the filthiest saves I have seen in my time watching hockey. It just absolutely had to be duplicated on this segment. My hat is off to Marc-Andre Fleury. Weekend winners today, right around the corner, so stick around for that. Up next... Here we are in weekend winners today. My picks were red hot last week as I went 4-1, and 5-3 and three overall in the short life of this segment. We got some phenomenal picks for this weekend coming up, so let's run through them. First pick is the Seahawks straight up against the LA Rams on Sunday Night Football. Currently this is a pick'em game. I think the Rams are running on fumes at this point. The Seahawks will get after Goff. They will keep the running game at bay, and this is a do-or-die for the Rams, I think, but I just believe that last week was an anomaly for them. They own the Cardinals. They always have. McVay's had a lot of success against them in his time in LA. I don't have to give up any points since it's a pick em. These division games are always close between Seattle and San Francisco and LA, and it will probably be a field goal game. I just really love what Seattle is doing at this point. I think they are the best team in the NFC right now. Especially if they get home field, they will go to the Super Bowl. I will take Seattle in this matchup to win the game 31-28. Second pick I have is Tampa Bay minus three at home against the Colts. The Colts have had nothing but injuries in recent weeks. Brissett is essentially playing on one leg. T.Y. Hilton has been banged up, and Marlon Mack might return, which will help them this week, but I just think they're too banged up, and let's be honest. The Buccaneers have been playing great football lately. Winston has looked good. They've won three of four. He's playing for his career at this point in my eyes, Winston is, and I think that even though he will probably throw a pick or two, he's good for at least two scores. I could easily see this game being a push, but again, a minus three line for the home team means Vegas believes these teams are even, and as of right now, I do not see it as the Colts have lost four of five, and they've averaged 19.7 points per game in their last six games. Tampa Bay's good for at least 24 points. They've been held under 20 only twice all season. They've scored 23, 34, 30, 17, 35, and 28 in their last six games, respectively. I think the Bucks win, and I think they cover 31-21. Third pick, Jacksonville Jaguars, plus three, but I'm going to bet them outright to win. Chargers are finished. The Phillip Rivers era is over for the Chargers. They need to do something drastic, not just from a football standpoint, but a business and franchise perspective as well as they move into the new stadium in L.A. next year. He will not be back next year as a starter. They have lost every game this year by eight or less. They continue to find ways to lose games like no other team ever has. Gardner Minshew is back for the Jags. I think he provides a spark. He's playing to be the starter next year for the Jags or for somebody else. This is a classic game you see in the late window on red zone, and the Chargers are down 24-10, chasing the game in the second half and coming up just short. Plus, I'm getting three, so the Jags don't have to even win the game. I personally will bet them outright at plus 155 because I believe they will win, but if you like the plus three, feel free. Jags beat the Chargers in Jacksonville 27-24. Last pick I have for you this weekend is Kansas City plus three, but again, this is another one I'm going to ignore the points, and I'm going to bet them outright to win in New England. New England has won 22 games in a row at home or something like that. They're almost unbeatable in Foxborough once the weather goes bad, but this is a different team this year. Yes, their defense is good. Yes, Belichick is great after a loss, but Brady has nobody on this offense to work with except Edelman. The Chiefs defense has played well in recent weeks, even though I still think they stink. I think Belichick struggles with these newer generation of quarterbacks. We saw it with Lamar Jackson. We saw it with Sean Watson. Mahomes went up there last year and almost won the game. They scored over 40. He had them to, in position to win the game in the AFC title game, and the defense just let him down. I think this is the foundation finally starting to crumble on the New England dynasty. 
Brady cannot overcome lack of talent like he has in the past. He's 42 now. He's not 32. This is going to be the beginning of the end for the New England dynasty until they get him some weapons. I'm going with the Chiefs on the road outright to win at plus 150 for the big payoff when they do win the game. But take the plus three if you like it because even if they do lose, it will be a field goal game. But I think the Chiefs go in there and win 34-31. You heard it here first. Those are the picks to get some cash in your pockets this weekend. Never forget, bet like a winner, and always remember to bet responsibly. So that will wrap up Episode 9 of the JG3 Experience Podcast. Thank you again for spending part of your day with me. As always, don't forget to check out the website, jg3experience.com. That is jg3experience.com without the E, where you can keep up to date with everything from me wherever you are. December is going to continue to be a busy month for us, so make sure you keep up to date. Once again, I am Joe Gill, where I'm taking on the world one unfavorable take and opinion at a time. And until next time, may the four winds blow you safely home. Mm